Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, I've got an extra special guest who is in huge demand at the moment in the, the development industry. And that is Dion Mellows, the Managing Director of SHA Environmental, a company that provides a full range of energy, sustainability and environmental solutions for the built environment. And Dion is actually an award-winning industry specialist and has been awarded at the Energy Efficiency Awards as an energy efficiency champion, which acknowledges that Dion's pursuit of energy efficiency in the industry is acknowledged and made people's lives better. So welcome, Dion. Thanks very much for joining me today. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks, Rod. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this today. What exactly is an energy, sustainability and environmental consultant? What what is your role and, and what is it that you do? To be fair, it this kind of goes wider than that. So as you know, SHA we we've kind of grown and expanded and always sort of trying to learn more. You know, we're probably more of sort of an energy sustainability and a sort of carbon consultant now. I think we we look at it that way. So we we support developers, you know, doing new builds, you know, throughout the whole built environment. So that's commercial, residential property, and even, you know, Mrs. Miggins doing doing a house extension, you know, at the at the rear of the property. So understanding sort of the whole, how buildings work, how people interact with the built environment, built, you know, and spaces, it's, it's all interlinked. So you've got to think about the health and well-being of people in the spaces, you know, the new part over the building regs coming out, looking at overheating is a key part of that. Mm-hmm. I've been going on about that for five years uh, in some of my CPDs that I've been presenting. You know, so it's, it's arguably a lot harder to design for, you know, for summer temperatures in properties. But actually, that's where people get most uncomfortable. It's easy to heat a property. That's, a, cool. that's a great, a great point. I'm going to come back to that because I've got so many questions. So the first one, which might make me look a, a bit sort of ignorant, is can you give us like a, the difference between energy performance, carbon ratings what, what what's the difference between trying to get say to carbon zero versus energy performance obviously they're probably linked somewhere but how do they differ yeah it's, it's a really difficult one so we've got you know we think about energy performance of buildings so that's the government are doing a huge push towards that at the minute with the changes to the building regulations there's changes to epcs coming into place there's a far bigger push now on reducing the primary energy rating of a building. So typically the EPC would have just looked at sort of the overall carbon emissions of the building without really any, any push or drive to reduce down its operational energy demands. Mm-hmm. You know, so we look at typically an old Victorian building and we say, look at the, the heating demand. You can get a heating demand in one of those about 150 kilowatt hours per square meter per year. Mm-hmm. What does that figure mean? We compare that to say a new build, um, passive house style building, that's down to about 15 kilowatt hours per square meter per year. So there's a tenfold reduction just in the heating builds. And, and if your electricity is, is, or gas is being charged at whatever it is these days, like 20, 30, 40 pence per kilowatt or, or, or however much it is, then that really starts to add up. It really does. We've got to think about the UK market, actually. We've got quite cheaper energy bills typically compared to sort of northern Europe, but they're far more energy efficient. So actually, you know, their bills ultimately are lower. We, we've had the benefit of North Sea gas and, you know, those bits over the last decades, which has allowed us to subsidise the bills almost. And is that because we've got such old housing stock and they're, they're probably, they've got newer stock? And, and then I guess this is going to bring us back round to us talking about EPCs and and how difficult it is to retrofit like old Victorian Edwardian houses to make sure that their EPC is up to the C rating that it's got to be. But before we kind of before we get onto that, then is because obviously I'm doing a development. That's how we we met. You, you've helped me on on our development. Look at getting to an A rating, which has been a real big learning experience for me. But certainly one thing I've learned is that it's a lot easier to build it out the ground <laughs> in an energy performance way than it might be to retro 
fit something. So, and, and that kind of leads, leads us to another point where, as it stands at the moment, there seems to be a bit of confusion between EPCs and how they're calculated and also energy performance, because you would like to think that if I increase the energy performance of my property, my EPC is going to go up proportionately and vice versa. But that isn't the case right now. And is that because of how SAP calculations are done? And is that changing? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that side of things? Yes, it's with all of these things, it's really complicated with all of these things. So you think about what you're talking about there is potentially improving, say, the, the primary energy rating, which we've discussed. So that's the, you know, called the PER of, of a building. So that's the operational energy in sort of kilowatt hours per square meter per year. With, with that, so if you go into a building and you look to say, well, let's, you know, reduce down the heat demand. So let's, you know, put external wall insulation or internal wall insulation. Let's upgrade to double glazing. Let's, you know, put loft insulation in and ground floor insulation, et cetera, in you will massively reduce down the primary energy rating of the building, but you're not necessarily equivalent, you know, improving the EPC rating of the building. Isn't yeah, it? It, it, it just really doesn't work. It's, yeah. it's all linked to the carbon factors at the minute. So there's a higher push on sort of carbon. So you can have a building with a higher primary energy rating, so it actually uses far more energy over the year and would cost more to, to operate. If you had, say, a, a higher EPC rating, but actually that higher EPC rating could have a lower or higher sort of primary energy rating. So actually this, this energy demands a higher per square meter than the building next door, which has got a higher EPC rating, but that's just because they've put some solar panels on. And really the benefit of the solar panels are probably only 20 to 40 percent of that solar energy actually potentially being used within the property. And the rest and so, is going to be And so I imagine the powers that be do want to genuinely ensure that we're all using less or build, our buildings are using less energy. So where have they gone wrong here? And is it going to change? Because I keep hearing about kind of the calculations are going to be changing and things like that, because clearly that's crazy. What, what, it's bonkers that, that, that it's being calculated like that. So, so why has that happened in your, in your opinion and, and what's going to happen in the future? Yeah, so, so with that, what, what the government are doing at the minute is, you know, looking at the MEs and, and updating those. They, they introduced sort of the minimum energy efficiency standards and the MEs back in 2018. And it's any property that is, I believe it's a G rating, have to be a G or an E, actually, to rent the property out currently. Otherwise, you get, get a £5,000 fine. Yeah. Well, what, what they have proposed is previously, you know, accepted this is by 2035, they want all of those to be a C rating. But actually, there's a white paper issued in January 2021 that's looking at a whole range of different options for, for improving the MEs far sooner. And that's potentially from, I think it's between 2025 and 2028, something in that ballpark up to a C rating. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a carrot and a stick approach there, you know, the potential of fines are going from five grand up to £30,000 per property that's not improved. And actually the uh, sort of the cost of up- upgrades, you know, that's kind of around sort of four grand at the minute. That's potentially going to go up to sort of around 10 grand to and allow I, to improve them. I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll go on to real detailed sort of cost of upgrades in a minute because I know listeners are, are dying to, to know what they can do to, to upgrade it. But yeah. Um, so, 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 how how have the government got to this stage where EPCs? I mean, cynics might say, like everything government run, it seems completely kind of contradictory to what it's set out to do. Because I can, like you said, improve my EPC without actually improving the energy performance of the building. So, so how how's it got to that? And, and, and do you think actually they're going to change those calculations? It's carbon, carbon, carbon. You know, that's, that's what the government's been thinking and, about. And, and that's because, I don't know, it's, it's in the news, it's a vote winner, it's, it's, it's on trends, people, yeah. but it's not carbon. You can, CO2 and you can reduce the CO2, you know, quite easily by putting some solar panels on the property. Yeah. The problem is if everyone in the country was to put solar panels on the property, the, the national grid would just blow up because it just wouldn't be able to cope with the, the, the fluctuations in the energy supply going, going across it. So that was 
that was where they initially think, well, let's reduce carbon, you know, and you can put solar panels and other systems in to reduce that carbon. But the problem is, you've still got the same energy demands. You know, we're, we're quite a cold country, you know, typically, although fairly temperate, we get really cold winters. And that's when we use, you know, circa 50% of our annual energy demand is in those winter months is is on heating and hot water. Yeah. So putting solar panels in, well, you know, that's not, it's not going to generate the energy in the depths of winter, is it? When we're actually, when we need that energy. Even then it's, you know, intermittent and uh, probably windy and rainy and cloudy. So we're not going to get the benefits even then. So that's, that's where they, they, so they started off looking at sort of reducing carbon. There's a whole range of ways of reducing that easily. But actually now they're taking a bit more of a sensible approach, you know, because the cost of energy, our fuel security as a nation is, is rapidly, you know, being you know, not looked at very well. We're having to import most of our energy in sort of liquefied uh, natural gas from sort of, you know, the Middle East and, and the US, because we don't generate a huge amount of south from the North Sea. Potentially some coming across Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1 from, from Russia. Yeah. You know, it's all volatile places. You know, so therefore, will we have enough gas to, you know, to heat our, our homes? And we don't have the containers either. So we, we don't have the, the storage capacity within the country to, to kind of guarantee our supplies for the winter months. And there's certainly a difference here between kind of buying that stuff wholesale and as a country, sort of getting it from Russia or Nord Stream 1, Nord Stream 2, yeah. And us going to, I don't know, Bulb, who's gone into administration to buy it off them and all these other companies who haven't got that stockpiles of it. And so they're really, really struggling. Like, How do you see that kind of playing out? And, uh, and, and, and what can the government kind of do? What, what do you see them doing in terms of the price cap and, and these various things? Is, is it sustainable to continue paying crazy amounts for gas? And like, I speak to... I don't know, not not kind of professionals in property, but everyday Joe Bloggs doing up his house or moving home, going, hey, should I get an air source heat pump? Shall we just can off gas completely and things like that? Because they're terrified about the pricing. Pricing's, yeah, pr- pricing's only going to go up. I think we we go back a step slightly and think about how, how sort of EPCs are sort of calculated and bits. And it, it really does all come back to this point of reduce the energy demand. You know, we mentioned earlier the figures of 150 kilowatt hours per square meter for an old Victorian property, you know, 15 kilowatt hours a square meter for like a passive house style property. So when, when you look at reducing down the energy demand of the property, you know, that's that's going to make a significant improvement. So you're actually, you know, importing 10 times less energy for just to live and breathe within the space and to keep it at a certain temperature. And is, is, the biggest, is the biggest thing that you can do for that then about losing thermal energy? So yeah. is that about heat, heat loss? Brilliant. Yeah, so like I said, it's about 50% of your, on the typical housing stock, about 50% of your energy is for your heating and hot water. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Half of your energy is, is for that. Oh, yeah, it's okay. a couple of percent for your lighting and your pumps and fans and bits. Yeah, huge amount then, yeah. And that can be reduced quite easily, you know, really, really simply. There's quite a few simple ways, but it is ultimately looking at reducing down your heat losses. So so if then we talk about some of those ways to reduce it at the moment for existing properties, and obviously in the UK, like we talked about, we've got an awful lot of old stock here. What are some of the things that can be done? And then also... Not all, like I'm, I'm in London where you might have an old 150-year-old Victorian property or whatever it is, which is all well and good if you've got to spend 20 grand kind of getting external wall insulation, double glazing. What happens if I own a property in Northumberland that has a capital value of 50 grand? Like, what do I do then if I have to get that up? Otherwise, I'm getting a fine that is over half the value of my property. I mean, what's going to happen here? Yeah, it's, it's, it is really tough. If we think, you know, typically about simple upgrades, you know, in, in the winter, you walk outside on the cold winter's day, you know, you're going to put a hat on. Yeah. Keep your head warm. Same with the property. You know, chuck as much insulation as you can up in the loft. It's cheap as chips. Do it yourself. Buy some rolls. Get, get the guys in and just really cover the roof. 
that will stop a huge amount of heat escaping the property if, if done properly. And it's always about, you know, the finesse and the attention to detail. But also, the, the property won't overheat as much in the summer months. So it's a double win. Sorry, I've got so many questions that I keep kind of chopping and changing where we're going with this. But how does that work then with the overheating? With the Is it because with overheating in the summer, by having it insulated, run us through how, how kind of that, that works? There's, it's about albedo scales. Going to go to sort of slightly science here. So you've got albedo scales of reflectance. Um, most of our roofs in this country are dark colours. So you've got dark slate or terracotta tiles. Yeah. Imagine barefoot in the summer months, you walk in on a nice green lawn, it's nice and cool, feels nice on your feet. You then suddenly walk onto a tarmac road. Yeah. Well, you're going to be getting off that pretty quickly because it's yeah. hot. So the darker a colour, there's a few sort of slight caveats to that, but in principle, the darker the colour, the more heat that will absorb. So it convert the you know the UV rays into infrared heat. Which is why when you go to Spain, all the houses are painted white and... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got these dark coloured roofs. What they do is they absorb the heat and then they just radiate that everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to radiate inside. And if you don't have a sufficient barrier to stop that heat coming in through insulation, that's just going to come into the property and make it very warm. Brilliant. Okay, that's great. So so going back then on to EPCs. Yeah. On, on that point, actually, if we were to adopt the Spanish approach, you know, we look at sedum roofs, fantastic, yeah. they stop, they, they slow down rainfall, they slow down water. A key component of the London plan as well about the urban greening factor that now we've got to comply with. Perhaps with the suds of the surface water management strategy, yeah. so less water just going off into, into the drainage system back out to sea. You know, we've got land subsidence as an issue in the southeast because we've concreted over too much of the land but also the, you know the colour of the buildings themselves if we were to adopt a you know more of a rendered type finish on buildings rather than the red brick actually that again would would benefit sort of the summer overheating risk because you're not absorbing all of that heat would that have any effect to the winter months no, yeah no 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 just just for summer you know we think about the urban heat island effect you know london's typically sort of two or three degrees warmer than the surrounding areas in the summer yeah that's because of the color and render index of of london wow it's much darker than the surrounding areas therefore it absorbs more solar heat wow yeah okay I've, ne- I've never even considered that so back on to kind of epcs we've got the the loft insulation is the big one which can be done low cost yourself even yeah um, what in terms of kind of doing that is it is it better to always do it on the loft or what about a warm roof so insulation right up where the where the tiles are in the raft it, it ultimately depends if you've got plans you know going forward for the future potentially put dormers in and doing sort of you know uh, a mansard or some form of loft extension then yeah put it up and have a have a warm roof also if the space is going to be used for storage and you're going to allow people to store stuff up there create a warm roof because it keeps all of their you know possessions you know dry and at a comfortable temperature a little bit more difficult to do depending on the depth of the, of the rafters up there so you might have to batten them out to give yourself a nice breather cavity on top it, it's, it's horses for courses that it ultimately depends on what the future plans are and how that space is going to be used mm-hmm. okay and then what other things then are there for for existing property owners so yeah so you, let's say you've got a a property that's rated a D or, or even an E or an F, what are some of the easy fixes, the quick wins that you can get to, to get that EPC rating up? Got, got to remember the EPC is just a nominal value that, that we've discussed. It doesn't really mean much at the minute because all it does is looks at 50% of your, of your energy demand for a property. So the regulated energy, it doesn't even think about the unregulated energy, your hair dryers, washing machines, tumble dryers kettles you know all of the other things we have in a property but that's my point is that my question is really about the epc rather yeah. than what can i do to make my bills cheaper yeah and the thing is it is trying to achieve sort of a notional target set by somebody who actually has limited maybe sort of knowledge on on sort of buildings in the built environment so you're trying to get a better rating on 50 percent what about the rest and how does it and and i guess we'll come on to that that will be my next question after the epcs because because in my experience when i know your epc runs out i think it's 10 years 
that they've got and then you get a new one you spend I don't know 50 quid to get your EPC assessor out it comes out and spends 10 minutes and then ticks boxes and you think hold on a minute how how do you know what insulation is in my cavity wall you haven't even looked in the loft how how are they doing it and and the assumptions made are crazy so what what kind of so when people are looking at what needs to be done on their EPC document to improve that it might suggest things that are actually already there in a lot of these older properties so how can how can property owners existing property owners one ensure that actually they get it tested properly and two find out what those easy fixes are to 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 get the epc rating up rather than necessarily the energy performance it's it's the problem with with epcs at the minute and and rd saps it's, it's kind of a race to the bottom who can do the cheapest and the quickest which mm. you know as you mentioned is is forcing people to only have 10 minutes on the site 50 quid you know a certain hour so but, one hour to get to site to do the epc to write the report to lodge it you know so there's just not enough but if, if it's going to cost you 30 grand in fines it's more expensive right it is more expensive so ultimately actually what you want to do is get somebody in to do you know actual sort of proper testing on a property drill into a wall have a little look get a camera in there look in the cavity yeah what, what is actually in that in that space hopefully it's not the polystyrene beads because that will cause more issues going forward with them but it's so sim- simple ways of of improving the EPC rating under the current sort of you know methodology and guidance to to bump it up. Increase the loft insulation. Always do that. You know, get that as low as you can. It's got many benefits. You know, it will improve the EPC and it will make the building a lot more comfortable for people. Yeah. You know, we are hearing. You know, if if somebody is in a in a property that's too hot in the summer months, they're probably going to be going on right move. Yeah, yeah, they don't absolutely. want to be in that property next year. I'm They're going to do well as 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 a landlord. You want to keep your tenants for longer because void periods will, will, will kill you. So it's it's, yeah. it's in our interest to make sure people are comfortable. Yeah. Well, long you keep people in there, so it is. I'll be trying to think about sort of you know actually what's got cost benefit across sort of you know the wider spectrum rather than oh well it just ticks an EPC box. Mm-hmm. Actually, that won't have any benefit to the end user coming into the building. Okay, so you've got loft insulation, that's really good. Secondary glazing is really good. I you know potentially not recommend going for double glazing, depending on the property and the location, etc. But you can always a slight sort of balancing act. Secondary glazing performs really well and is cheap and cheerful. What, um, what do you mean by secondary glazing versus double glazing? So if you've only got single glazing in the property at the minute and you're in a Victorian property in a conservation area in, in a town, yeah. you, you've then got to pay for the you know, nice timber sash, double glazed windows. And you know, potentially they don't perform as well because they're quite a small glazing gap to keep the same sort of aesthetics and the same sort of look for the local authority. So therefore, actually, you're probably better off just putting secondary glazing in. Right. So it's another layer of glass. Yeah. Pretty much another window behind the existing window. Sure. Okay. You know, that, that's how it works. That that works. It, it catches the heat coming in from the sun. You, you can get coatings and films for that glass to reflect the heat back and to reflect the heat in in the summer, winter months even. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some simple bits. You know, definitely draft excluding that works really well. Stop the air permeability. So huge amount of heat is lost where we're looking at to dip traditional buildings where we're heating the air through radiators and in other systems we're waiting for that air to be warm before we feel the heat in the space if we've got really leaky building all that warm air that we've just paid a fortune at 20 pence per kilowatt hour you yeah know, at the minute is then just escaping out outside so try and keep that air inside Hello everyone, I'm sorry to interrupt, I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively, 
for a term of between six and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in, other, in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. And how would an EPC assessor assess that? Should they be kind of looking at these thermal cameras to see where air is escaping out of the building? Yeah, they, they should do. They can look around. You can see within sort of the doors and the windows. Yeah. You know, typically, if we look at the thermal junctions of a property, so that's where you know two walls butt one another. You've got the lintels, the, the jams and the seals around windows and doors. Uh, interior floors to external walls etc you lose about 40 percent of your heat loss through those thermal junctions which is huge you know you think you're spending a grand a year on heating and you've got those very small areas are costing you about 400 quid oh, it's, it's going to be more than that really. it's some indicative figures it's it's a huge cost and they're really easy to fix problem is though an rd sap assessor and your epc wouldn't be able to identify that yeah, yeah. So it's putting, say, uh, a thermal board, so a laminated board, you know, 25, 30 mil, something like that, on your window and door reveals. Mm, okay. It's a really simple way of doing it. You know, it's cheapest chips to do. You know, you probably need one board <laughs> throughout the house and someone just with a bit of skill, stick it on, skim it, you know, and, and finish it. But that will reduce your heat losses around those junctions massively. And then, you know, like I said, draft proof your doors, make sure they're nice and sealed and, you know, close up nicely. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at draft proof, that could potentially improve your EPC rating by about 10 points. So it's actually quite a good one to go. Low energy lighting, you know, that's the key. If you think about an old uh, incandescent bulb, you know, 50 watts, yeah. you probably heat, you know, do the lighting for, you know, half your house for, you know, five watt LED bulbs. Yeah, yeah. You know, they last a lot longer. You're not replacing them as often. You know, so actually, it's they're always the quickest way. Yeah. yeah. If you've got a gas boiler, you know, potentially don't upgrade that at the minute. There are other options. If you look at sort of a longer term plan, maybe upgrade your radiators. So let's say aluminium radiators, slightly bigger, and that run on a lower temperature. That would reduce your your gas demand down quite a bit because you're throwing the heat around the space more efficiently and quicker. But then the aluminium radiators would then suit when you kind of come to an upgrade to a heat pump. Once the cost of the heat pumps have come down, you know, once we've got mass scales going up through through the country. I'd say instead then spend about 500 quid on the flue gas heat recovery system on top of your, of your gas boiler. And that reduced down your gas bills again by about another 20%. And what does that actually do then? what that does is it collects the the exhaust and gases from the boiler they they typically go out still quite warm and it just recirculates that heat back in and preheats the uh preheats the water coming into the cylinder really simple that works really well it's a real cheap fix and it would improve your your rd sap score okay brilliant they're they're kind of cheap options what are some maybe things that can improve your epc score that 
maybe don't necessarily improve the energy performance or that people might not have ever thought about because I know when we've been doing kind of our new build who certifies the windows is important what what body an organization is I think it was BFRC that is changing now under the new ones under yeah. the new regs coming out so it's you know it's, it's constant sort of chicken and the egg approach with with bpcs and bits but you are right bfrc so british fenestration registration council or certification if you get the windows certified through them they've actually checked the 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 glazing and the window spec actually performs rather than the manufacturer just doing their own calculation yeah a little bit over generous on the calculations so it's just another one and that that improves on the new build yeah, anywhere between 10 and 20% reduction in your carbon emissions. So, so even though someone else who hasn't got that certificate might be a better U-value, yeah. the BFRC certificate will still get a higher score on the EPC. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you've, got, you've got to split these here from existing building stock and new yeah, building so, sure. stock. So, you, could, so you, wouldn't be, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able... Let's say you had an existing building and you needed to change the windows. If you changed them to BFRC, would that improve disproportionately there's there's not the tick box as far as i'm aware within rd app for ticking that box so it's really for new build stuff yeah my my approach to existing buildings and new buildings are are fundamentally different you know they're completely sort of apples and oranges what what would you say is the main difference then for say we've talked about we've talked about for so just to recap for existing property owners the number one thing is to get someone in who's yeah. going to assess this properly. So that's actually spending the time to go through what really is there. And then and then going down from that, it's it's things like the loft insulation, then going on to the glazing, the, the draft exclusion. So you mentioned kind of the laminate by the windows, in the reveals, yeah. at the at the junctions of walls, et cetera. And then LEDs, that, they're the cheap cost-effective things, the flu, the gas flu stuff comes back in those are the cheap cost effective stuff now if that's still not taking it to the sea what are some of the more expensive bits i mean double double glazing would be a more expensive bit where we talked about secondary glazing yeah so double glazing obviously is another one internal and external insulation are pretty expensive things i mean are there any kind of words of wisdom you've got for people who might need to go down that route if they've tried all the other bits and they're still not there is there like any specifically more cost effective ways of doing those i'd say we focus just on existing building stock here so yeah. we'll probably come on to new build yes. after, after this section it'll always be okay what what's in the building currently let's do you know do a proper survey proper testing actually really understand how the building is is currently finished in its in its current state. Once we've understood that, is then understanding what the future plans are for that building. You know, are there any sort of extension planning permissions in place? Different proposals for that for that building stock. There's no point spending good money after bad if you're going to rip that out in the future. So you really want to understand that that baseline scenario first of all. Once you've done that, we can then put measures in place. You know, put the loft insulation in. You know, that's that's really key. We probably would make the assumption that actually some point that property will go potentially to an air source heat pump in the future or even you know another electric source. So therefore improve the radiators and improve the, the efficiency of the gas boiler. Either replace it now if it's a really old one, or just keep going for gas, or you know, upgrade it with a flue gas heat recovery. They're and, really good systems. And does does changing it to an electric system improve the EPC? Not at the moment, no, because we're still <laughs> so we're still under the, the current carbon factor. So until the end of the year, the carbon factor for electric is uh, half a kilo circa, you know, per kilowatt hour of energy, and gas is fifty percent less than that. So suddenly you're doubling your energy, your your carbon, your modelled carbon emissions on a property by going from gas to electric currently, but in reality we know the carbon emissions are less. So it's a we're stuck in a sort of a grey ground at the minute, waiting for regulations to catch up. When do you think those regulations will catch up and will it be before the EPC mandatory changes for uh, rental properties? Yeah, it will be. Yeah, it'll be later this year. OK, so it's, it's really worth waiting 
until that that happens for anything that's yeah. in what we've already kind of been through which is if you're at the yeah if you're at the 10 year get your epc done spend the 50 pounds just get you know somebody to come back in and just rewatch so you're safe you know it's, it's a five grand fine so even if it's a d or an e just crack on and do it and then just get it done yeah. and you know and then potentially start creating your plan for the future after that but we go back to sort of the upgrades yeah. um, on that existing properties yes loft insulation that'll improve your rating by, by quite a few points um and it's got a, it's got the biggest bang for buck so it'll cost a couple grand to put in and it will save people anywhere sort of between 500 and a grand a year on there you'll keep three year payback so not bad yeah yeah reduces overheating risk you know keeps them warmer in winter reduces energy bills you know win 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 so that's really good the other one is, you know, draft proofing. Like I said, that can improve your EPC rating by about sort of nine or ten points. That's that's a really big one. Get your low energy lighting in. That's really cheap. So just those ones there will probably bring you up from, you know, an F to a D rating. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. How, sorry. How many points is it between an, an F and an E, or an E and a D? Is it sort of is it it's a metric system or is it a Fahrenheit system? <laughs> no, no, it's it's set in there i don't have the figures in front of me but it's pretty clearly banded on the ep okay. so you can see it quite clearly i actually don't know the specific bands off the top of my head sorry you got me on that one i, I know 90 is it 90 or 92 is an a is, is yeah 92 for the a yeah, yeah that's it right i don't know because that's where most of our new build developments are getting to yeah. at the minute yeah. um which I think probably follows us in nicely. I think they're your key ones. They'll get you up to an EPCD on your existing stock. Won't cost a huge amount, maybe fifteen hundred quid, two grand investment, and that's you kind of pretty much protected for the next few years. Sure, sure. Until until the next ones come out, and then and then. Oh yeah, and so we, we have to see what that white paper is doing because you know the current EPC metrics could change. Like I said, because they're currently based on carbon. And there's talk of them changing to sort of the primary energy factor, the heat transfer coefficient. You know, so there's different options on how future EPCs will look compared to the existing ones. So it's it's all for change at the moment. So there's no point in going and spending an absolute fortune to get it done right now if your focus is on the EPC rather than just actually energy performance. If you want to bring the energy performance down, then absolutely crack on. But if I think I'm just doing this for the EPC purely for that right now, it's probably not much point in doing that yet. Unless if you get a good consultant, if, yeah, if you get a good consultant in, actually, you know, if we were to go in and advise someone, the measures that we would would recommend would would ensure your protection against the future. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, you know, we're not just going to go in and say we'll just do this for the sake of it. Of you would actually be looking at actually the building as a whole. So you know, I could pretty much stand and say our advice today would stand the test of time yeah yeah absolutely okay and so if we are looking at a new development then what are some of the things that can go in because we've talked about kind of i'm sure lots of people are going to have questions about gas is is our gas boilers dead you hear stories about gas safe engineers saying oh it's going to they're going to turn into hydrogen because we need to keep our jobs and things like that are electric boilers a new thing? Air source heat pumps and ground source heat pumps take a fair amount of uh, capital expense and also maintenance costs. They also need planning, things like that. Where do you put them? Infrared doesn't really seem to be kind of coming up on, on a lot of the energy sort of sap, sap calculations and things like that. Should it still be wet lead systems if it's an electric boiler? What, what, what do you think... Or am I right in saying that gas is going to be a thing of the past in terms of heating our properties? And what then is is going to take over in terms of what's the best energy performance? And two, what's the best bang for your buck? Oh, right. Chuck, chuck a fair few uh, questions no, in one part. I think we let's go take it down to the basics to start with, I think, yeah. Currently, new builds are assessed under the building regs 2013, and it'll be getting easier and easier to comply with. Although it's still difficult for some developments the the new building regs are coming out i believe they're autumn this year autumn november although it does keep changing and it has been you know it's supposed to be released in 2020 what, what they're doing there's a fundamental change to the way we look at new builds and you know we've been advising clients on those emerging regulations for the past two years so we're kind of confident you know on where we we sit with our advice there's about 31% improvement in the CO2 
target that you have to achieve under the new regulations. Mm -hmm. So that's already a big uplift, you know, and that's going to be quite difficult to achieve for a lot of people. The, the requirement on the new regs is a heavy focus, again, like I said, on looking at the primary energy rating of a building. So it's the energy, you know, per square meter per year. That's going to be a heavy focus and there's going to be a target for that. So it's going to be a target energy rate and all new buildings have to comply with. That, that, that at least sounds sensible because yeah, really. what, what a good measure of, of measuring kind of the energy output really, but rather than kind of how things are currently done. The, the things currently done is, you know, you can typically have whatever really you want in the building, you know, achieve whatever and put solar panels on the roof. And that then compensates the, the carbon. And reality, like, like we discussed, most of our energy is used in winter when the sun's not shining, so it's, it's completely irrelevant. It doesn't provide a benefit to the end users. So we've got that big uplift in uh, in the primary energy rating. The the minimum backstops for sort of you know the U values are being improved. You know, so actually your U values, the amount of insulation is going to be improved drastically. The accredited construction details that the government used kind of make a slight assumption most of your, your listeners will understand these but the accredited construction details look at the thermal junctions yep. so that 40 percent of your heat loss in a property element where the walls and your jams and you know all of those bits that that's changing so they're getting rid of all of those sort of the government's approved bits and bobs and you're gonna have to use independently verified and assessed ones you know they're about 300 quid a pop they probably not very cost effective on a on a single site but actually, if you're rolling that that build stock out on multiple sites, you know, or you've got a site with multiple units, you can copy and paste that. And we look at, say, 10, indicative 10 thermal bridge junctions that are really critical for a property, you know, cost of circa three grand. And potentially reducing your heat demands by about 40%. You know, there's, there's huge benefit there once you start rolling that out. You can look then at your building services, potentially reduce the amount of insulation in some areas right. under the cost of the insulation currently that's 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 going to be a pretty sort of key driver and we can do that with clients at the minute they, they refocus some of their spend on the consultant and the design and really going down into the detail on things that then has a cost benefit of circa 15 percent on the insulation costs out elsewhere yeah, yeah. so actually it you know pays for itself and you're still saving more energy air pressure tests you've got to do them on all new properties because like we, we said you know the more air that typically leaks out of a building the more energy you've got to put into to heat that building yeah yeah so reduce the heat uh, reduce the air leakage reduce the heat demand reduce the drafts reduce the summer overheating what are some uh, of the things people can do to improve that that, that air the air leakage so by improving the thermal junctions that, that's going to make a big difference anyway. Obviously, making sure you cork all of your sort of your skirtings and you know top and bottom, ideally, or plastic them. Sealing up all your building services, so where you've got your uh, penetrations for your um, for your foul water and you know all of those bits coming in. Lag them. Make sure they're really sealed up, nice and tight, and, and finish them up so they look nice. But just kind of any way you can reduce down the heat demand. So what about we'll be looking today? Like spotlights going in the ceiling and things like that. Yeah, so if you get the the air seal ones, that, that they work really well. But what you want to do if if you make sure that the external building envelope is is well sealed, so you've got your air seal line kind of wrapping around the building. Yeah. It doesn't matter then if you've got a penetration internally into a ceiling sure. because it's it's still just being enveloped within yeah. the building, so it's not going anywhere. So okay. still within the volume of the space but we do we we come in and do uh do pre-testing on on properties so before the end we'll get in and we'll do a pre-test and look at a property and so we'll let here's your yep. go around the smoke test here's your holes seal them up yeah yeah and it makes a big difference yeah we can we can reduce it down quite quite significantly we've heard a few clients where they're doing say insulated concrete frame which i know is still a bit of a new sort of approach but maybe look at that as a design principle you know, actually, there's no no potential air leakage from the building because yeah. it's a solid structure other than sort of building penetrations. And the sort of discussions from people that live in those properties is they don't turn the heating on. Yeah, yeah. So actually, suddenly, you, you know, that circa 50% of your heat demand has just disappeared through design. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's still a hot water demand, but actually you can you can match that really simply through through clever MVHR systems that take out heat from the space, convert it into hot water, and then put the exhaust out or create sort of uh, natural cooling within the space. So then going back to the gas, what do you think is it is it done for? Oh, sorry. I've I've assumed that yeah, all of your listeners will already know that yeah, they'd be moving away from gas. We we haven't recommended or consulted on a scheme where gas has been used for about three years now. Okay. Um, what's mo- what's taking the place of it? Is it is it electric boilers? Is it infrared? Is it is it air source heat pumps? Is it wet systems? Or is it I don't know hydrogen. All of those, with the exception of hydrogen. So I was working a couple of years ago for a prop tech startup backed by Centrica, where we actually designed sort of a new modular unit that was designed and presented at COP26 last year up in Glasgow. And through the discussions there with Centrica, things might have changed as they always do, but there was no thought of hydrogen being a solution because the amount of energy you've got to put in to get hydrogen yeah. is huge. Then you've got to pipe it around, you know, and there's about 20% you know, energy losses just getting it into the system. So now I don't, I don't think hydrogen's there. The, the systems that people are going for, typically everyone thinks, first of all, of an electric boiler. Let's just replace gas for an electric boiler. Yeah, especially if they've already got a wet system there. They've got the wet system there. Oh, well, we'll think about new build now. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Sticking on a new bird, otherwise it will slightly confuse things. We've had quite a few clients that have just adopted that route, you know, and we're talking then about replacing a 13 kilowatt gas boiler with a 13 kilowatt electric boiler. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot of juice. That's, that's a huge energy draw on a property with yep. everything else in the space. And it's really expensive. So we think about a gas boiler, 13 kilowatt gas boiler, is you know going to cost pennies to run in capacity whereas a 13 kilowatt electric boiler at four or five times the cost per unit is going to cost pounds yeah yeah for each unit of energy so it's it's a lot more expensive to run not very efficient because then the problem is if you think nationally then if everyone was to put put their electric boiler on at 6 p.m at 13 kilowatts you know that's that's just the the system wouldn't cope yeah um, and plugging the cars in and everything else. So we, we definitely say to move away from electric boilers. The, the other systems that then people are looking at, so our, our kind of bronze solution, as we've kind of grouped it, would be an infrared in-ceiling heat system. So it uses low-grade heat, so like 30, 40 degrees temperature being emitted, say, from the ceiling. It's the most efficient place for it because there's no obstacles and, and the heat just radiates around the space and warms your floors up nicely. Typical heating systems that infrared heats objects rather than the air. Yeah, so we go back to our winter approach again. I like this one. And you think you're walking outside on a on a cold but very sunny winter's day. Yeah. You're walking on the shaded side of the road. You've got your hat on. You've got your coat up nice and tight. Your scarf on. You're still pretty pretty Baltic. You think, well, the sun's shining on the other side of the road. So what, what are we all going to do? We're all going to walk to the sunny side of the road. Like I said, we'll take a hat off, probably undo the coat a little bit because we're feeling the infrared heat from the sun. The air temperature is still zero degrees. Got it. The air temperature hasn't changed. It's still the same temperature. If you're trying to look at a traditional wet system, that will wait for that air temperature to get to 20 before you start taking the coat off and that's it. And all those bits. Very interesting, yeah. yeah. With the infrared, because it's heating you, it's heating the mass of inner space, you don't have to wait for the air temperature to get to 20 degrees because you're, suddenly, you're already feeling warm from the infrared system. So that's kind of how it works. It's more efficient. So it's not relying on heating the air, although your air temperature will get warmer as a secondary consequence. Yeah. So that is our kind of baseline efficient system. Yeah. When we look at all electric, though, so we've got a bronze solution. But what we do before that is say, OK, you've made a decision to go all electric. Great. You know, that's that's what everyone's doing. What you're now able to do is become your own energy generator, solar panels, cheapest chips. You know, you get solar panels for 100, 100 quid a panel. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not expensive. Most of the cost comes from, you know, scaffolding and, and labour and cost. But if you're already doing a new build, you've already got the scaffolding up. Mm-hmm. You can reduce down the amount of, you know, tiles and slates and whatever else you put on there by putting building integrated. So there are cost benefits. It's about 30 or 40% per square meter are more expensive to put solar in than the slate roof so yeah okay 
Not a big cost. Yeah. And you get a benefit from one. So you know your own energy generate. You can become your own energy storage system as well, storing that energy that you generate. Through batteries. Through batteries. So typically you use 20 to 40% of solar energy on a building within the building real time. Yeah. And then you're exporting the other 80 to 60 to 80% back to the grid. Which, which makes no sense because you're giving it to them at 5p and I'm buying it back a couple of hours later at 20p. Yeah. So people, those people who, who get solar but don't get the batteries is kind of defeating the point, really. There are other systems, obviously. If you're electric, you will necessarily you, you will use a little bit more energy yeah. and you can put clever systems in, such as a, a Sunamp electric boiler or a cylinder, which is our under our sort of bronze solution. That's got an eddy diverter. So what say? Look, there's, we know the sun's shining. The hot water is empty. Okay, let's divert the solar energy that's not being used in the property into this hot water cylinder to create your, your hot water for later on in the day. Because it's about 25% of your heat demand is hot water, about 25% of your heat demand is, is heating. So they're kind of, you know, quite similar. So put that free energy into there. You know, if most of your listeners are investors, you know, they, they wouldn't even dream of selling something for 5p to know they need to buy it back later on at 20p. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it just makes no sense. So store as much as you can. Uh, so once you've done that, you're energy generator, you're storing your own energy, you're all electric. You can play the grid a little bit so you can sign up to like an Octopus Agile tariff where they'll take a slight control of your battery, say 50% of it. They'll then put energy into it when they, they know the energy is cheap or they've got too much. And they might grab a little bit when they need it as well to top up the grid. Mm-hmm. But you get paid for that. So it, it works really well. Okay. That's your kind of your cheapest baseline solution. You know, if you're looking at a new build, you can get your heating, hot water, and solar for about six grand for a flat, something about that cost. So it is more expensive than gas. Yeah. But, but actually, the payback is going to be through, well, if you're living there, bills, and if you're investing yeah. and holding it, you're going to have less voice because people will not be spending so much on their. On their bills all the time, you type. Well, yeah, and zero maintenance with that bronze solution as well. So there's no annual gas safety check. So, you know, that's... Air source heat pump check and things like that. Yeah. No, you know, and they're a little bit more expensive as well. If you've got an internal and ex- external air source heat pump, the external ones, because of the quality of our atmosphere, yeah. we're a very polluted country, regardless if we think it or not, we get pollution alerts on the air mm-hmm. and they get really dirty from all this pollution and the people. Etc. So they have to be maintained every year. The sun and hot water cylinder, uh, it's plug and play. It's cold in, hot out, no discharge pipe work, super easy to put in. Yeah. You free up, free up a cylinder cupboard, you free up space in the property, save energy. You know, so it's win-win on that, yeah. that problem solution. But you have to put the solar in and ideally, you know, as a minimum, put the solar diverter in to the sun amp system. Yeah. And so that, that although you're calling that a bronze system that would still has the potential to get you kind of a at epc and, and pretty pretty cheap bills and things like that it would do with, with some attention to detail on the building services that would that would get you the epca rating yeah. okay. uh, ticket boxes and you know there, there is talks about banks offering sort of development finance discounts for epca rated properties and there's more and more reluctance from banks to invest into properties that cannot achieve an epca rating well absolutely so so we are as you know doing a development where we're going for a ratings and i I spoke to some development finance first and i said look how are you going to finance this and give us a professional a a preferential rate when we haven't got it yet because it's all well and good me telling you i'm going to get an a rating but if i end up getting a d then obviously i've not done my bit how do you manage it and all they says look we'll give you the rate you do it, and then it comes off the exit fee. So at the exit fee, if it's a C, you you pay back more. If it's a if it's a B, it's less. If it's an A, it's less. And then on the term finance, again, there's a green deals. They're called for a lot of term lenders that are are well, the the rates are always changing. But at the moment, there's significant kind of um, savings to be had on on bigger loans. Like if you if you're borrowing fifty grand, it's probably not going to be a huge a huge difference but if you're borrowing a million quid it starts to add up so yeah so on that so what we've seen as as a company is kind of a a niche market which you know works really well for us but we're getting far busier and busier is typically where you had a sap assessor just doing generic sap assessments Mm -hmm. you know you pay them peanuts 
and, and that's kind of what you get out of it at the end. Yeah. They would then just say, well, look, to achieve EPC, A, you need to do this. The developer would then go out to a building services engineer, say, well, D and B, you know, the heating system. Yeah. And on the majority of jobs, they'll put a different boiler in or they'll put a different system in because it's cheaper, easier, more cost effective. So then that's already sort of a pain point. We get to the end of the job, someone's put different insulation in, someone's put a different sort of building services sort of set up in, they won't get the EPC rating that we, we set out to achieve. Mm-hmm. So what we've, we've done is actually, you know, most of this is out coming through into the building regulation. We, we create surveys throughout the property. So we'll come in, we're, we're doing a job for 32 zero carbon units in Wimbledon at the minute, where we, we spent two years working on the design. We worked really close with the design team, the architects, the building services engineers, the contractors, et cetera, to make sure actually everything was set. There's a clear specification and there was no changes to that. Mm-hmm. So therefore that then continues through. We, we go in a survey and we make sure actually the level of insulation that we specified is in there. You know, there's, there's photos and other bits of information. And then at the end of the job, we were pretty much guaranteed that EPCA rating. Yeah. That was kind of an option one with a client they, they had their own sort of development teams in but other clients you know will actually come in and do the installations on say the building services ourselves because we we know that that's where the biggest energy demand is and then we can make sure actually for the developer and the client at the end they're still achieving their, their goals and their aspirations we're involved a little bit more throughout the job than a typical energy consultant would be but what that means is actually the client brief and that initial setup and what we told the council was achieved. So there's no differences to the S106 payments or the community infrastructure levies. We've achieved what we've got to. And particularly in the southeast with London, we've got the London plan as a carbon tax. Yeah. Actually moving uh, more provincially throughout the country where I think it's Bristol, Manchester and other areas are now looking at a similar carbon tax um, on developments. So if you don't achieve what you said you would achieve, you then have to pay them more at the end of the scheme. It's cheaper to invest it in the property rather than pay the tax. There's clearly investment kind of opportunities there, aren't there, yeah. to, to get good returns. So, so you mentioned kind of the bronze route. What would then be the silver and gold? Yes, we've got the silver route would be, you know, looking at an air source heat pump system with a conventional, you know, a sort of build approach, you know, so traditional build on the walls, you know, roofs, etc. Typical levels of insulation, typical double glazing, and then either an external air source heat pump or ground source heat pump, you know, something like that with a wet system, underfloor heating and, you know, rads in the bedrooms. Coupled with solar and batteries again, you know, that that's kind of is the is the the foundation for these approaches um, and we kind of mentioned some of the negatives of the heat pumps being the maintenance and and also there's just the cost they're, they're very expensive um, yeah. do you do you think that actually those costs will come down as kind of a bit more technology goes into those yes yeah, it's, it's just economies of scale we've got to think about you know how many millions of gas boilers have been you know produced in the uk and globally at the minute to satisfy mm-hmm you know how many we need and heat pumps are nowhere near on that sort of same level of, of production yeah. so until that ramps up you know the cost is still going to be a little bit high until there's huge economies of scale and that's where yeah there, there is a bit of a bit of an area at the minute but but if you're doing a new build you know you're zero bet fat rated so there's already a 20 percent reduction so it does make sense to put that in now mm-hmm. or yeah. at least offer it as an upgrade to the to your purchasers sure sure and then am I going to guess at gold being a combination of the two? No, so gold for us would be, you know, really looking at detail. So designing out the heat losses pretty much as far as you can. Yeah. With that, we then like to look at sort of the more of the North American warm air type system. You, you can kind of mix this up a little bit, but ultimately drive down the heat demands to say the 15 to 20 kilowatt hours square meter per year. That's key. When you've done that, you know, whatever actually you're using to heat the space doesn't really matter so much. Yeah. But we would go for a, uh, it's a product called the Clevet Alpha Pack, which is really good. That provides, it's quite clever. So it provides cooling in the summer months. Yeah. So take the heat out of the out of the space mm-hmm. using heat pump technology. That will then provide free hot water uh, for the building. So you know that's that's a huge benefit. 
and then it will then supply slightly tempered cool air back into the space. So you can kind of keep a 20 degree temperature throughout the year. And then in the winter months, yeah, it uses the same, you know, heat pump technology, MVHRs, et cetera, to then provide sort of warm air through grills and ventilation. And you can either use that with that system or, or an MVHR in infrared or an MVHR NIBI system, small air source heat pump. There's a huge range of systems that you can use ultimately leads to reducing down the heat demand spend your money on the insulation and the building details and and uh, i'm guessing the downside to that is just purely cost it is yeah yeah and and then so for existing landlords that are thinking about changing their their gas boiler what would you be suggesting for them would it be the same type of stuff or would it be because you've already got a wet system in place you mentioned getting that electric boiler is going to be really expensive in terms of bill. No, no. Yeah, big no, no. Yeah. I'd say with the with the existing landlords, it will be again looking at sort of a longer term upgrade strategy. You know, so maybe let's look at sort of a five and ten year upgrade plan for the property. So let's reduce the heat losses that we can now. Draft exclusion, loft insulation, secondary glazing, potentially upgrade radiators. Keep the gas boiler is a good one. Yeah. Keep it if it's old, maybe even keep it, but just or, or replace that with a newer uh, flue gas. But with a view, then actually your, your radiators are ready for the future. You know, because you can spend five grand on a heat pump on the unit itself now. Mm-hmm. But I'd say take some of that saving, spend the grand on a nice new gas boiler, take the other four grand, put that into loft insulation, draft exclusion, and radiator upgrades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that will be a higher epc rating or higher epc rating until the new ones come into effect where electric will have a, a yeah 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 okay interesting and look, I'm, I'm conscious of the time because i know we've gone through an awful lot here but do you want to kind of tell us a bit about some of the kind of zero carbon projects that that you've done and some of the interesting things that have happened there i know a lot of that is more more catered towards the commercial buildings and we obviously have a few commercial kind of people listening what are some of the interesting things happening in the commercial space so yeah so on commercial buildings we what we're doing is uh you know under the sort of the carbon reporting side we'll, we'll get in and do you know i don't know depending on the size of the organization there's esos secr as uh, so esos's ng savings opportunity scheme and uh, SECI strategic energy carbon reporting. But even if they're a bit smaller, you know, architects, smaller developers will come in and look at what is their carbon footprint as an organization? Mm-hmm. You know, how many cars, the miles do they drive? How many airplane miles do they drive? What's the energy consumption in the buildings? We can look at vehicles and their mileage quite easy. Well, don't, don't fly so much to offset the mileage. Yeah. For vehicles, you know, go for electric. You know, that's going to reduce that down. And most people are doing that. So then the other sort of the big energy demand then comes from the building stock. And it's a really difficult one, but typically with with commercial buildings, if you're looking at office spaces, you know, there's not really a heat demand, so it's more of a cooling demand. So you've kind of got completely different drivers for commercial buildings than than residential ones. The same principle ultimately, fill up with solar panels where you can benefit for commercial buildings is you're probably going to use 100% of that solar energy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the buildings are in use in the day when the sun's shining, people got the computers on, you've got the fridges on, you've got your forklifts operating, you've got your lights on, you know, all those other bits are in the day where you're operating solar. Whereas a residential, you don't get that benefit because you're out at that commercial space. Well, the sun's generating, I hope. So that's, that's a key one. And then it'd be, you know, looking at, the age of the building services, you know, upgrade the lighting again, again with the heating. It's kind of the same approach for the residential, but just a slight, there is always a slight different twist. And there's not one size fits all with, with commercial. You've got, yeah, within that commercial envelope, you've got agricultural buildings, you've got offices, you've got retail, you've got supermarkets, hotels. So they're all, all slightly different. Yes, it's really not easy. Get, get somebody with, with advice. Uh, a good consultant that understands the built environment in its entirety, you know, the very rare, somebody like ourselves or somebody else. And then that will, you know, ultimately where you're saving carbon, you're saving money. Mm-hmm. You feel good. You can tell your customers you're saving carbon. Win-win. There's good stories and benefits that comes from that. So it's, it's self-perpetuating positivity. 
And um, are there any kind of things like, I don't know, we hear about the Tesla kind of power walls and these new roof tiles that they're, they're bringing out. Is it just a case of more technology coming into the space that should obviously make things a bit more um, energy efficient going forward and, and, and cheaper to run? And what are some, are there any things out there that you're quite excited by or think that they could be the next new thing? Yeah, there's always always things moving with the market. I think if you're ever going to do anything, you know, the best time to do something was yesterday. The second best time is now. You know, never keep looking at future technologies and think, well, I'm going to hold out for five years to wait for that. Just do it. Just just do those measures now. Put the solar panels in. Upgrade the heating as long as, you know, all the systems that they need upgrade and they've not been done recently. Change them. Prove the building stock. Do, Do what you can now. There are lots of new technologies coming out. But when will they become commercially viable? When will they become economies of scale that are suitable? You know, there's so many sort of what ifs. So I think always look at them now. There's so many different technologies out there, smart home control systems, you know, really smart inverters on your on your hybrid on-off grid sort of home energy solutions or commercial. I think there's enough technology now where you can really significantly drive down your carbon. You can reduce down your your footprint on the environment and the world and yeah, do do those things now. Future tech is good, but I, yeah, I wouldn't want to have a whole segment on that. Sure, sure. Next day. Okay, brilliant. And so, I mean, the number one thing that comes out to me here is get someone on board like yourself um, to come in as early as possible and actually tell do a thorough kind of investigation into one the existing property, or if you're doing a new development, then at design stage because it's going to save you an awful lot of money going forward. Where can people get in touch with you? I'd say if I pick up on that first point is, you know, I, I like to think about this as, you know, when you go into a doctor, you know, you, I'm not comparing myself to a doctor by, by any means, but the process, the doctor will always ask you what the pain points are first, what the drivers, what's, what's the issue, what's hurting. We will then base our advice on that. You know, we don't come in and say, you've got to do this solution, you've got to do that one. It, it just doesn't work so there's always got to be those questions that we will ask first before we sort of advise on the consultancy but to get in touch with us you know you can find us on google shaenvironmental.co.uk send me an email dion d-i-o-n at shaenvironmental.co.uk or give us a call 020-3637-0427 brilliant i'll make sure i put uh, those in the show notes as well so thanks so much, Dion. That's been really interesting. I know certainly the majority of people's pain points at the moment are around EPCs or worrying about EPCs. So I think that's been really, really helpful. And uh, hopefully some of these people get in touch with yourself or other um, uh, energy consultants rather than just sticking to the typical kind of EPC cheap assessors where they're really, you're really not going to kind of get bang for your buck there if that's your concern. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks very much for coming on and I hope we can uh, get you on in the future when these uh, calculations change to give us a bit more of an updated advice then. Perfect. Thanks for having me, Rod. Brilliant. Cheers.